All right, we are on week three of a series called Awe. Awe is an awesome, A-W-E. This is actually the conclusion of the series, and I'm a little sad that we're concluding it because it is a series that I needed so desperately, and I believe we all need it so desperately. However, although it is a conclusion, I, I view this message today in particular more as the catalyst to continue or to make the beginning of a whole new habit. So... Today is make it a habit, awe, make it a habit. In week one, we looked at how we are wired for wonder, that it's in our nature, that God has designed us to enter into the experience of the awe of God, that he's made us to be most satisfied in him as we connect with him as the highest being, and he is awesome. Now, we took a look at general revelation and special revelation as uh, a way of seeing the glory of God, which we would otherwise not see because it's invisible to us until we view it through revelation. Now, the week after that, we took a look at all as a corrective lens that a lot of times we need this lens, general revelation, special revelation as the lens through which we view this thing we cannot see otherwise that actually brings correction to our lives. And so that's where we've been. Today we want to enter into the experience of awe so frequently that we are actually intentional about making that the habit of our lives. So I don't know if your experience has been like um, mine, on more than one occasion, it seems to be more regularly than not, where I'll come to the service on a Sunday and I literally experience a slice of entering into the awe of God, where sometimes it catches me emotionally. Sometimes my throat constricts, my tears run, and I'm just caught by the wonder and awe of God. And if that's an experience you've ever experienced, Maybe you want to make it personal. So it's not just when we come together that you want to step into that experience so that it's a slice of an experience of the reality of the presence of God that you are experiencing at a personal level on a Monday or a Tuesday or some other day or every day, making it a habit. Now, once we get there, I actually want to just set the vision for us to think in terms of why not aim for entering into the habit of the experience of God so much that it's like the rhythm of life that we know about physically where we're breathing, the rhythm of life that's just almost in the background of all of our existence where the breathing of our own life is what we require physically Why not experience that slice, that experience of the awe of God rhythmically like breathing, where we are walking with God, sensing God, knowing God, intentionally going to God and communicating with God and listening to God, almost like breathing is to physical life. This experience, making it habit, becomes life to our soul on a every day, throughout the day, rhythm of life. That's where I want us to go. Now, my experience has not been that. My experience has been so much of a conviction that actually the commonplace experience of my life is 
forgetting the awe of God. I was going to work out at a gym, and I just, on my way in, and you know how the, there's like a, a, a plate around a license plate, and there's little sayings on it? I just walked by, and the little saying caught my attention. It said, I only forget what I don't remember. <laughs> I chuckled. That's like, good. I only forget what I don't remember. And then, as I'm walking the rest of the way into the gym, it's like, Wow. That's profound. And the thought basically went like this. We really do forget what we don't remember. And Jesus tells us to remember. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And if we forget to do the things he tells us to remember, we will forget what we don't remember. And so this actually plays into this whole concept of make it a habit. We have to step into that slice of experience where we honor and exalt God and make that the habit of our lives. Otherwise, there's a whole lot that we're going to not remember. We're, we're going to forget. And it changes everything about what life looks like for us. Our focus for today, today reads, choose to make it a habit to enter into the awe of God. Choose to make it a habit to enter into the awe of God. Now, my life has been a life that uh, I've really worked at some habits. So I was already in the habit of getting up early in the morning to meet with God. I have a personal appointment with God. And I knew the value of study to open up the Word of God. Usually I don't actually open up pages anymore. I open up my phone or my iPad you version, and a compare translations, et cetera, et cetera. If you haven't discovered that and you have a smartphone, boy, talk to us afterwards. It's a really great tool. And to, to spend time in the Word of God, studying the Word of God, and spend time in prayer. That habit was established. But this series, and thinking this series through, I was struck by the thoughts that, wait, 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 what I'm doing so often when I meet with God with prayer, what I'm doing so often is... Kind of like going to God with my grocery list of requests. It's a little self-centered. And it, you might view it like this. And I'm like, I, I do this too, where I go to Amazon and I open up the Amazon shopping site where the world is open for me to get Amazon Prime, immediate delivery, you know, buy this and buy that now. And prayer is a little bit like that. If my prayer life is just a grocery shopping list or opening up a divine shopping site and I'm just listing off what I want from God, I'm totally forgetting, I think, something more central as it relates to my relationship with God, and that is meeting with Him and making it a habit of being in awe in His presence. That's what we're talking about. We're actually going to the passage of Scripture, and I don't remember which services I said this and which services I forgot to say it, where the passage of Scripture, I was reading it to the staff because it struck me so that we need to be in awe of God. And if we're not in awe of God, we're not going to be able to transfer this awe to the people around us to get a hold of the awe of God. I couldn't even finish the passage. I had to ask um, David, who was sitting next to me, to finish reading it. That's the passage we're going into today. Now, in your bulletin, there's an outline. If you're the kind of person that likes to write some things down that might be helpful to you, point number one is this, awe shapes me. Awe shapes me. 
The passage that I've been referring to that choked me up because, and, and frankly, the reason why it choked me up was because what should be normative for my life was forgotten. The habit that should be there was not a habit. The awe that should be ingrained into my psyche and system and the rhythm of my life was kind of far away. And in that conviction of, of that um, and reading that, I, I was just imploring us, no, we need the awe of God because the awe of God shapes me. That passage is Psalm 145, and I'm going to ask you to turn there to Psalm 145. It's on the uh, page 435, if you didn't bring a Bible, in the Bible that's in the chair in front of you. If you don't have an easy-to-read English translation, uh, we would like to give you this as our gift because I want you to start treating this Bible if it is your Bible, as yours and circling words and writing in the margin and writing down thoughts as God speaks to you today. Put your name in it, bring it back. We'll see you with that next time as well. Psalm 145 reads this way. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Now I'm going to list off some things in terms of some thoughts that we want to grab just from this section. We're going to keep reading in a moment. The first thing that I'm going to list off is that awe shapes me with perspective. Awe shapes me with perspective. When I enter into that, that experience of a slice of the awe of God, it actually begins to shape me. I want you to notice in verse 1 and 2, the shaping that's taking place of, of David as he is expressing his awe. I will praise your name forever and ever. That's the end of verse one. And then verse two, and extol your name forever and ever. That's an eternal perspective that he is stating. Now, it's more than just, I'm looking forward to eternity. It's looking at life through eternity in its lens. So the next bullet uh, a concept that I want us to just kind of highlight is that awe shapes me with assurance. In other words, this phrase forever and ever, he's not just saying, I will praise you continually. I will praise you over and over. I will praise you continually. He's saying, no, no, I've got this assurance. I've got this confidence. I don't have to fear death. God has conquered death for me. The only way he can do that is by conquering sin for me and giving me eternity, and so I have the assurance, I, and out of that assurance, I want to praise you forever and ever. It's just a positive, victorious cry. The next bullet I want you to catch a hold of is that awe shapes me with gratitude. Take a look at verse 3. Awe shapes me with gratitude. Great is the Lord and most Worthy of praise. I think the operative word there, the key one, is most. There is not a greater worthy thing being for us to 
extol and praise and be captivated by. Now, put it this way. Our hearts are made in such a way that we can't help but be captivated by that which is wonderful. Session one, we're wired for wonder. We seek the wonder all the time. We seek awesome experiences. We seek wonderful things because we've been made to seek the awesome, most wonderful God. That's how we've been wired. However, if we won't fill our desires and satisfy our desires with the awe of God, we will be kidnapped by horizontal wonderful things and those horizontal wonderful things will captivate our heart. And we can't help, but we will talk about whatever it is that captivates our hearts. So you kind of know what it is that you're captivated by, by what it is that you talk about all the time. What's really, really easy for you to talk about? Ooh, that's what life is about for you. So lately, for me, it's like easy to talk about. Okay, let's talk about grandchildren. You know? They're just a joy. They're a blast. You show me pictures, I'll show you more. You know? That's what I'm captivated by. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, look at this. Isn't this cute? You know, on and on, captivated there. That's great. But if I'm only captivated horizontally, it's not as meaningful as if my heart is truly captivated vertically. Now everything else is given more meaning, not less. More meaning when I'm captivated by God. And if I haven't been talking about God and about the wonderful things that God is doing in my life, it's because I'm captivated by horizontal wonders and not captivated vertically. Okay? Now, when we are captivated vertically, we are shaped by gratitude. And then another thought that I want us to see right there on the screen is it all shapes me with purpose. Take a look at verse four. All shapes me with purpose. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. That is our purpose, to be so captivated. Try that again. So captivated by God that it just bubbles out of me the awe of God and that awe of God then gets transferred from me to the next generation under me. Parents, if you're not captivated by the awe of God, neither will your children be. If you are captivated by the awe of God and you're talking about what God is doing and what wonderful things that God has done and how he answered prayer and, oh, wasn't that great? They will want that experience also. One generation to the next. We're only one generation away from dropping the chain, the chain of captivation, the chain of awe. The next generation could be lost if we're not in awe. And from the standpoint of my job as a pastor, if I'm not in awe, you will not be captivated by the awe as it's presented before you. I need to be in awe. But that's not just my job. It's the job of every believer. It's our purpose to be so in awe of God. It just bubbles out of us, and other people want the awe of God in their life as well. We have purpose. But we can't experience that purpose if we don't make it a habit of entering into the experience of the awe of God. 
So let's keep reading. I'm going to catch up uh, by reading again verse 4. One generation commends your works to another. They tell your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Now just kind of keep in mind the, the back of your mind as we're talking about I will do this and I will do this and I will do this that I only forget what I don't remember. If I don't do this, the awe of God gets further and further away, distant in my experience, I begin to forget how awesome he is. And some other horizontal, wonderful thing becomes larger as his awesomeness diminishes in my remembering. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. Verse 11, they tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that All people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Now, you're going to hear the word all and all and all because as you're in awe of God, he just becomes all-consuming. He touches everything and that just comes out of your experience of entering into the presence of his bigness and who he is. Verse 14, the Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. I want you to think of God for a moment. I don't know how you think of him, but here the one who enters into the awe of who he is describes him as a God who has open-handed with everything we need. He's open-handed with everything we need. Awesome. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears the cry, their cry, and saves them. So I want to add one more line to the bullet list there. Awe shapes me with satisfaction. We just read the line, he fulfills the desires. Now, a really important line to make sure we don't forget is he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. That is, those who revere him, those who enter into the awe of him. Verse 20, the Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. He's glorious, he's good, he's in charge, he's the high worthy one. Enter into connectivity with him. Make that your habit. Okay, we're going to take a sidetrack for a moment. Point number two is this. Jot this down first. Forgetting awe is dangerous. 
Forgetting awe is dangerous. Now, some of these illustrations, maybe they're a little trite, maybe, but maybe they'll come together as helpful to you. So, if you forget the danger of fire, that's dangerous, okay? If you forget and you're not in the right relationship to fire, it's like fire is something I need to make sure to remember is dangerous, okay? Here's a little story about me. Um, We have a wood-burning stove, and we enjoy heating the house with a wood-burning stove. And one day, I was stuffing in the stove uh, more logs, Oh, well, might as well put another one. Uh, oh, another one. I can fit one more. Huh? And I was about to put one in, and I wasn't very careful with how I was stacking the logs. And one came out. It was in flames. And it fell out of the fireplace and onto the hearth and rolled off the hearth and onto the rug. And, and I, I don't know exactly how I did it, but I got it back into the fireplace. But... It was a little too late for the rug. Good thing the rug was one of those throw rugs. Because after I stomped it out, I just flipped it over. (laughs) Then I started to have these guilt pangs like, oh, I need to tell this. Because the next time she does the floor, she's going to lift it up. She's going to find it. So that, that, as soon as she came home, I said, I have a, I have a confession to make. And she alert, alert. She's thinking, what, what? Uh, I burned the rug. Let me just show you. And her, she was so gracious. She said, well, it's a good thing we had that rug. <laughs> and it really was. Because it would have been the floor otherwise. And it's a good thing we had that rug. So I still come to my house, ask me to show you the burn on the underside of the rug. There it is. Now, what's the deal? I was too comfortable with the whole process. I was not careful. I was forgetting how dangerous fire can be. I wasn't in awe. And awe is a proper relationship to a powerful thing. Okay? An improper relationship to a powerful thing is dangerous. Okay? So proper relationship to a powerful thing is where we need to be. So if you're not quite getting that, I had a, a guests last weekend. They were from Hawaii. My sister and her husband stayed the weekend with us, and they were asking lots of questions about rattlesnakes while we were on hikes because in Hawaii, there are no poisonous snakes. So we're hiking through the desert, and they're very cautious And I'm hiking through the desert like, no, this is Arizona. I'm used to rattlesnakes. Like, really? I'm not used to rattlesnakes, but I don't think about them much, really, when I'm on hikes, you know? So, I mean, if I was really, oh, there's a rattlesnake here. Let's get out of the way here, you know? That would be an improper relationship to a rattlesnake. Let me just grab this one by the neck. And people do that. They get too comfortable, right? This is a dangerous entity. You have to maintain a kind of an awe and a respect to be protected. Um, I've got this chainsaw that I like a lot. It's amazing what it can do. Mass destruction quickly, right? But if I'm too comfortable with that chainsaw, you know, like, oh, watch this, like one-handed. Now, I'm going ha- to part my hair with a kickback. Burr, woo, you know? Right? And more than my hair. So, no, you got to maintain the proper relationship, two hands in the proper, try to keep that kickback swing away from important parts, which 
I think all my parts are important. So that's right relationship to a powerful being. The last illustration like this is electricity. In my early years, through high school and college, the summers, I worked for a contractor. He was a general contractor, but before he became a general contractor, he was an electrical contractor. So when we didn't have a house to build, we would do electrical remodels. So we go to high-rise buildings and office complexes that they're remodeling the rooms. In those days, I don't know what it's like these days, in those days, the um, drop ceiling panel would house these electrical lights in offices that were very powerful. They'd use 220 to run these lights. And so when I'm working with electrical and got comfortable with electricity, I could work on a hot receptacle. One time my brother came with me, watched what I did and stuff, and just for fun, while I'm working on a hot receptacle, he goes, poof! It's like, poof! (laughs) (laughs) He just laughed. I didn't think it was funny. And... But then my boss was telling me about working with these electrical lights in the metal grids. You don't mess with those. 220 is something you don't work with hot. He told me about somebody who was working with something hot. He was on a ladder. He was not careful, and his body was touching the metal grid, and then he touched the 220 and got hung up on the grid. Okay? Forgetting awe is dangerous. So I'm going to put a verse that we've already read, I'm going to put it on the screen for us to kind of ponder with those thoughts in mind. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. Now we looked at this from the angle of God will satisfy us. Ultimate satisfaction is found in him. But notice who it is That is the us we're talking about. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears the cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. Now, I believe that all across America, we have a misunderstanding of how to relate to God. That we view God and the fear of God as Old Testament And now that we're in the New Testament, in the age of grace, we no longer have to fear God. That's an error. If you do a quick word study in the New Testament, just looking through the New Testament for the the word fear, you're going to discover time after time after time in the New Testament also describing believers as those who fear God. The Lord watches over all who love him. If you truly love him and have a proper relationship to God, who is the most awesome, worthy, most powerful being, then you have to maintain a fear of him that is a fear without fear. Through Jesus, you can maintain a proper relationship of awe where you're not afraid of God, but you are still have this proper relationship of awe and you are not without the fear of him. Now, I could take probably a whole series to describe that further. The quickest way to get at this, though, is a story that really got my attention. It's found in the book Good or God by John Bevere. Good or God by John Bevere. 
he was describing the scriptures in the New Testament about the fear of God and talking about the same things I've been talking about briefly here. These scriptures about the fear of God became real when I visited a famous televangelist in prison. He was the most well-known minister on the planet in the 1980s. He'd committed crimes against our national government along with committing adultery. The man had been in the penitentiary for almost five years. But in the early part of his sentence, he'd had an encounter with Jesus in his cell that turned his life around. One of my books had touched him deeply, and he'd requested that I visit him. We have so much to discuss and only 90 minutes to do it. He immediately sat down and shared his story. One of his first statements was, John, now this is John Bevere writing about his experience. John, it was not the judgment of God that put me in this prison. It was his mercy. Because if I had kept living the way I was, I would have ended up in hell forever. His statement stunned me. I was overwhelmed by his candor and his humility. After 20 or so minutes of listening to him, I asked a nagging question. I knew he loved Jesus greatly at the beginning of his ministry and had been on fire for God. I wanted to know how he had lost his passion. Finally, I simply asked, when did you fall out of love with Jesus? At what point? I was seeking the signs of losing our love for him, especially as a minister. I didn't, he answered firmly. I was shocked and slightly appalled by his answer. How could he say that? I shot back, what do you mean? You committed adultery. You committed fraud. You were sent to prison. How can you say you didn't fall out of love with Jesus? Again, he looked me straight in the eye and without hesitation said, John, I love Jesus all the way through it. I was silent, and I'm sure my face registered enormous confusion. He then said, John, I love Jesus, but I didn't fear him. There was silence for several moments. He let his words sink in. I was reeling with emotion. He broke the silence by soberly stating, John, there are millions of Americans who are just like me. They love Jesus, but don't fear God. John Bevere goes on to describe how what they're doing is really loving a fictitious God. And they're really loving a fictitious Jesus. They've reshaped everything to fit with the comfort of whatever decisions that they're making. Oh, yeah, I'll just ask for forgiveness. Oh, I've got this insurance. Oh, I'm going to get to heaven. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, oh, oh. And no fear of God and completely doing whatever they want to do. There's a list of bullet points that I just want us to look at together. When we forget the awe of God, we think too much about our own pleasure. When we forget the awe of God, we will be kidnapped by horizontal wonder replacements. These can become controlling addictions. When we forget the awe of God, we replace trust and faith with self-reliance. When we forget the awe of God, we drive ourselves to take control and to live for our glory. 
Would you jot this down, point number three, on your outline? Make time every day for awe. Because you only forget what you don't remember. Make time every day for awe. We just read a whole psalm about this. I will extol you. I will praise you. In fact, I'm going to put it on the screen where we started. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Do you see that that's not just praying for things from God? Do you see that that is making a habit of entering into the presence of the awesome God and speaking in awe of him? It's making awe the corrective lens for your life. It is fulfilling the wonder that you need by coming to him and entering into his presence and training yourself to speak in awe, to think in awe, to be in awe, to imagine in awe, to read through the lens of awe, to see the glory of God in awe and fear the God that you love because he's the only fear object worthy of fear. And if you fear him, you have no fears. Let's stand together and we'll conclude, if you like, to make this the habit of your lives. I want you to speak this out loud with me as a decision to start developing the habit of entering into the experience of the slice of all. Are you ready to read this out loud with me? Here we go. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. And you know what? We can choose to exalt him, to enter into awe, to express our awe right now. It's always a choice. Let's do it.